NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org slash connected or call 1-800-460-6276. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body NASM podcast series, where we connect all things mind, body, and movement. I'm Angie Miller, and I'm super glad you joined us. I am an NASM master instructor and an APA mentor, and I'm also a licensed clinical mental health counselor. So I love talking about all things mind, body, all things physical and mental. And today I have a great topic. It is mental barriers uh, to success. So we're going to talk about mental barriers that get in the way of maximizing our performance, because I really think that it's those mental barriers that stand in the way more than anything physical. We have to teach our clients to manage their mind as much as they manage their body. And I called on a special friend and a great expert in the field who has a lot of experience in the mind-body space. Her name is Lauren Irk. I'll let her tell you a little bit more about her credentials. She owns Fitness Integrated Science. And Lauren is a great expert to talk about all things fitness from the inside out. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much, Angie. It's such a pleasure to talk with you and I greatly admire you as well. So that was really nice of you to say. Um, so I've been in this industry for about 35 plus years. Um, I'm a muscle activation technique certified specialist at the RX full body level. I'm a 500 hour um, yoga instructor with Yoga Alliance as well as a continuing education provider for them. And I'm also a certified yoga therapist from the International Association of Yoga Therapy. So um, definitely this, this space in terms of being able to talk about what we do from a fitness, personal training space, as well as dealing with the mind-body component is something that I'm very comfortable with. So I'm very honored to be here. All right, amazing. And Lauren and I have kind of talked about some ideas back and forth this week. And, you know, I did a lot of research on what does build mental toughness and what are the mental barriers that get in the way when we do physical training. And everyone has all kinds of ideas. And obviously, it's very, it's very sports specific. It's also very client specific. But what Lauren and I tried to bring you are some of these ideas that are more internalized thoughts about mental barriers that we see with clients in every space, whether we're working them with them in a personal training format or a yoga format or whether I'm even working with them in mental health. So it's blending these different kinds of theories and concepts. So I hope what we're bringing you today is pretty unique. Some of these mental barriers are things that you might not have thought about before, but I hope that really help you to kind of work with your clients. So we have eight ways that we think build mental toughness and resilience and help to get rid of those barriers that stand in the way. And so the first one that Lauren and I kind of talked about was the uh, teaching clients to park their thoughts. And I talk about this a lot when I teach trainings on exercise motivation and adherence is 
A lot of times when the clients first come into this session, whether it's a virtual or a live session, they come in with all kinds of material going on in their heads. They're like a whiteboard that's just full to capacity and there's no space for them to add anything into the training session. So what I talk to them about is parking their thoughts. You know, a lot of times when I leave work, I have to park my thoughts at work. Or when I go into the gym door, I have to park my thoughts at the door. And it's really just kind of a simple way of compartmentalizing and saying, I'm gonna come back to this after the session and it will still be there. But hopefully what I'm doing in the training session is gonna mitigate the amount of stress I feel toward that situation right now. So what do you think about parking thoughts, Lauren? Uh, definitely with this um, time that we're living in, this situation comes up quite a bit. And I'm a big component of before I ever start with the workout with someone, I think it's important as trainers that we take a moment to allow our clients to speak about, you know, whatever we need to catch up on. And I'm always very mindful of watching how long that takes. We have certain clients that we know really do need a lot more um socialization than others. I have some clients that come in and they want to get right back down to business. And if I don't, if I talk about anything personal, I have a feeling that that would bother them. But other ones, we all have those clients who really want to be there for social reasons. You've become their best friend and they want to unload on you. And you can tell that they're not present in the session. I think it's important for us to know as trainers that we're dealing with human beings that deserve a time to be heard and kindness. And part of the service that we do provide for them is psychological, unfortunately, even though maybe we don't feel qualified to do that. So I leave whatever amount of time, whether that's three minutes, five minutes at the very beginning to catch up. So what have you been doing? How's work been? How are your kids? How have you been feeling? And if you feel like they're actually going on some sort of a weird tangent where they're getting ready to tell you about you know, some sort of psychological event that's gone on in their life that has nothing to do with your session that you know is going to derail everything that you have planned. It's important for us as fitness professionals to gently gear them just like you would a child, you know, just pick them up and put them in front of something else. Whether that's walking across the gym and handing them the weight and telling them that we're going to get started or me going ahead and demonstrating the exercise that we're getting ready to do or just bringing them right into a body focus. So last time you were in, we were really focused on your lower back. And I told you to do these exercises. Tell me how that's been. Once you direct that, a lot of times they will sort of leave all of that stuff that they were focused on and get right in the exercise. This may very well be something that you have to do multiple times during the session. But more than likely, if you do that, at the end of the session, they'll come up to you and say, oh my goodness, I feel so much better. Thank you. Yeah, you know what, that's perfect. It's, it's kind of a gentle redirecting. It's a gentle redirecting if it starts to, like you said, get to be a little bit too heavy or a little bit too much. You can always pick it up later, but again, it has to do with parking thoughts. So sometimes, you know, they can leave that stuff at the door, but sometimes they just need the space and the place to be able to tell somebody about it. And we're that perfect person to hear what they have to say. Because like you said, we're an emotional sounding board as much as we are a, a cruise ship director to their workouts, right? So I think parking the thoughts is really important. I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. And the other thing that Laura and I talked about, the second way that we thought kind of got rid of mental barriers and built that mental toughness was focus on performance versus outcome. Our clients get so stuck on the outcome. Uh, you know, I want to lose X amount of weight in X amount of weeks. And that's, that's what they're making a beeline for. They've got a wedding coming up, a big event coming up, and they're focused on the outcome versus the performance. And I think it's important to break things into small
smaller pieces. I was watching, I was reading an article today and a, and a video ad came up and it was somebody who does a lot of those um, big events and triathlons. And she said that if she thought about the end goal, she would never get through the actual race. She has to think about the next event or the next obstacle. And you know, that's what I do when I run. Um, if I'm gonna run four miles, I don't think about the four miles, I think about the first mile or I tell myself just five more minutes. So I have to break it into smaller pieces and remind myself that this isn't ultimately about the outcome, it's about the journey of getting there. So it's that performance versus outcome. What What are your thoughts on that when you're working with your clients, Lauren? Yeah, Angie, I love what you just said. I think that's very true. And um, I think it's very important, and I know NASM encourages this in all their certifications. You know, it's that initial consultation that we need to do a good job of, first of all, understanding what are the expectations of this client. So when they come in and they say, for instance, to your, to your point, I really want to lose X number of pounds before my wedding. And you look at the timeline, you look at them and you look at their uh, level of involvement and you have to be very real with them about this is what I can do. This is what we can do together. This is what, this is the scope of, the, of what we can accomplish here. And making your client understanding, you know, what truly is possible and how much they're going to need to work for that to happen. Um, managing client expectations is very important. I used to not do that when I was a younger trainer. And now that's the first thing that we discuss. What are your top five expectations? And if it's something that I don't feel that's going to be possible in X number amount of time, it's important for us as trainers to definitely communicate that. And I also use the idea of, you know, exactly what you were discussing about running a race. Let's say that I wanted to climb Mount Everest and I looked at the top of the mountain and I said, wow, that's a long way up. But if I can think to myself, well, I just want to get to that ledge. And then once I'm there, how do I get to this next ledge? And eventually, if we sort of do that, eventually we may end up getting to the top. And obviously what ends up happening when someone gets to the top, they want to climb another one. So it's really uh, more about the process and encouraging clients about the, at the process and almost steering them away from you know, what this original goal was is that may change. You know, they may decide, you know, I've really discovered that being skinny is not what I want. I'm really starting to feel better and I'm getting actually, you know, approving of this session and I feel really good. Psychologically, it's good for me. And maybe for my own health, the weight that I am is actually probably more manageable. Yeah, I think that was perfectly said because that performance versus outcome ties right into being able to manage expectations and help our clients do that from the beginning. It's kind of like writing a syllabus in a college course. We have to manage expectations. This is what you're going to get out of the course. Or if we're presenting at a conference, we have the expectations, we have the goals and the objectives of the course. So that we know that when people are in, in are enmeshed in this course, they know exactly what they're going to get out of it at the end. So in the beginning, they don't have this concept of, this is what the outcome is going to be, but we're sitting here with a completely different concept of what the outcome is going to be. And I think that, um, you know, too, it's that managing expectations is managing, um, it's, it's managing delivery, but also managing, you know, it takes a while to get where you want to go. Right. So this is this is a process. This is exercising for life. This is building habit. This isn't just getting ready for the wedding. We're hoping that you stay with us for the rest of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely important that we align our training with the with the client's goals. Because I mean, so many times you think as a trainer, I really want this person to have more core strength, or maybe we're really into, I don't know, heavy weight training, but that client has no interest in that. That's not where they're there. So it's important that we're managing our own expectations as well 
and making sure that we understand that we are working for the client. And it's, it's our job to communicate to the client how we're going to help them accomplish their goals and what goals might be impossible. Yeah, I love that. And that has everything to do with their value system, because like you said, we might have a special niche in the way that we train or what we're able to offer, but it has to really align with our goals and their values. So that managing expectations up front is super big. And what really ties into that, the other thing that Laura and I talked about was helping clients with your emotional space. And we decided to separate these two. We talked about parking our thoughts, but we also wanted to talk about clearing emotional space because I really believe that we get into the mindset that the client that we see in the hour that we're with them is the client that we're responsible for. But I think that it goes beyond that. I think that the client that we're responsible for is the, the client that we don't see all the hours of the day that we're not with them and some of the takeaways that we could give to them to help them when they're not with us for that one or two hours a week. And a lot of that is about clearing emotional space. And that is really, you know, when we listen to our clients talk about themselves when they're in session, we learn a lot about who they are as a human being and how they talk to themselves. So if we hear a lot of negative inner critic, if we hear a lot of limiting beliefs, if we hear them talk about themselves in a, in a, a kind of a derogatory way, I think that it gives us the opportunity to say, you know, Lauren, is that how you talk to yourself at home? You know, do you talk to yourself the way you would talk to your best friend? Or do you talk to yourself the way you would talk to your enemy? And I think it's really important because that mental energy that they're taking, that radio station that they're playing in their mind over and over again, whatever that song is that keeps playing, that's the song that they bring with them to the session too. And whatever those limiting beliefs are, whatever those negative thoughts are, those are coming into play and they're, they're kind of that big mental barrier, that big space between what they really want to accomplish and what they believe that they can. I think that's beautifully said. And, um, you know, I've always thought of myself whenever I'm working with a client, my job is to see things that they can't see. That's what they pay me to do. They may not realize why they're gaining weight or why they're constantly in pain or why they can't perform well in this a specific activity, or maybe their joints are wearing down. And then you sort of look at how they walk or look at the shoes that they're wearing, or look at the type of activities, you know, oh, I know your back is hurting, but you sit in a chair for 12 hours a day. Have you ever thought about maybe getting up and maybe we need to change your activities? Well, it's the same thing with emotions and that we know that the emotions and the physical state of someone are hand in hand. The mind and the body are not a part, two pieces that stand alone. They're integrally united. So the things that we tell ourselves and the things that we put ourselves around. Maybe you can tell that this person is, you know, has a best friend that every time they get around them, they come back from an outing with them and they feel negative about themselves. Or maybe it's a job that they have. It, it, although we have to know our place and we can't, uh, you know, comment on things that's none of, that are none of our business, but we can subtly remind people, hey, have you ever noticed that when you're around this person, you get really stressed? Or have you ever noticed that when you know, you go to work and you're in these long meetings, this is kind of when this happens. And when you do point that out to clients, a lot of times they'll go, huh, well, I guess you're right. I wasn't aware of that. And even though we don't go to school to become psychologists, the psychological component that goes into someone's self-esteem and self-worth is directly proportional to that person's results in our training sessions. We know that we attract our own thoughts. We can manifest everything that we're thinking about 
And if this client is focused all the time on, I've got to lose weight, I've got to lose weight, I hate the way I look, it's going to be really hard for that person to ever visualize themselves being any different. So I try to manage that a lot with a lot of positive self-talk, anything that they do that looks like they're progressing or anything that they're wearing, or if someone has a, a top on, like a woman that doesn't wear a tank top and is, wow, look at those arms, look at your triceps, the head on your tricep is looking so good, or oh my gosh, look how strong you're getting. And slowly over time with these positive sales images, not only are you going to help them with you, but you help them when they're not with you. And of course, our job is to try to influence this person enough to where fitness becomes a way of life. And they actually look forward to being with us. Being with us is a place where they feel like they can de-stress and they can be accepted for who they are. Yeah, that was very well said. And you're right. It is their emotional state is proportional to their goals and their outcome. And it's it's directly tied together. You can't separate physicality emotions, which is exactly why I love the clinical mental health side of me and the physical side of me, because I think that there is a very long bridge between the two that doesn't need to be so far apart. One of the ways that I talk to clients about separating their thoughts or kind of taking notice of their thoughts, because I think that's important because sometimes when we point out, hey, Lauren, I hear you say these things about yourself. I wonder if you've ever noticed that a lot of times my clients aren't actually aware of the things that they say to themselves until I actually pointed out that I hear that frequency or that song a lot. And then they're actually almost kind of surprised to realize that they do say a lot of negative things to themselves. So there is a technique that I actually use in mental health called cognitive diffusion. And I talked about it once before on one of my podcasts, but I thought I'd share it real quick again. And it is basically so that we can kind of take a longer line between ourselves and our thoughts. It's a little bit of mindfulness. It's being able to put distance between ourselves and our thoughts. So sometimes I'll tell them, you know, if you put your hands right in front of your face, all you can see is your hands. But if you move your hands out, you see your hands, but you also see everything else in the room. So it gives you a little bit more clarity, a little bit greater perspective, and it separates you from your thoughts and allows you to take power over what you're going to do next. And so when we create that distance between us and our thoughts, it's not, oh, I'm anxious or, oh, I'm whatever I'm feeling about myself. It is, I'm noticing that I'm feeling that about myself, or I'm noticing that I'm feeling anxious and now I can reframe. So maybe that's when my client notices that they've got a lot of inflexible thoughts, like um, they're shooting themselves again. I should have lost more weight by now. So this is a perfect time to notice that they say those should to themselves a lot and they're shaming themselves. And I can help them reframe and say, you know, maybe this is a good time to sit back and say, there are no shoulds. What if you shouldn't be at a certain weight? You should just be where you are today doing the best that you can in this moment, because again, it's about performance versus outcome. That's great. Your clients must really benefit so much from all of your uh, training in psychology and as a therapist. Um, so, you know, you have a very unique gift to give to your clients. That's a great tip. Yeah, well, thank you. So you have to use that cognitive diffusion with your clients. <laughs> but you yeah, know, another thing, oh, what's that? No, I was just going to say, you know, a lot of it too is just like what you said, just, you know, looking at sometimes I'll say, you know, this is your past, this is your future. So let's bring those together and focus on the present moment. You know, um, just kind of the, the little hand gestures like you just described work wonders with clients. And it also what you just did for them and you gave them a tool that they can use anytime during the day. They can come back to that. So that's a wonderful gift to give them. Yeah, because I think at the end of the day, we're not our thoughts. 
We have many, 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 many thoughts that go through our head each day. And if we took, a, if we bought into every single thought, we would just be a hot mess, wouldn't we? Sometimes we just have very unproductive thoughts that we probably shouldn't think. And there's no sense in shaming ourselves or shutting ourselves. We can maybe just find a way to recognize those thoughts, put some distance between them, and then just maybe reframe them in a healthy, positive way. So the other thing that you and I talked about, Lauren, was breathing. And um, we both have a experience as yoga leaders. And I know that you are a great person to talk about breathing techniques. And I think one of the greatest gifts we can give to our clients is to remind them that their breath is something they take with them everywhere they go. Their breath is this instant reset. I used to tell my college students that a breath is a moment of pause between you saying something that you should never, well, no, that's a should, between you saying something that you might regret later and between you taking a moment to rethink exactly how you want to phrase whatever it is that's going to come out of your mouth. So your breath is like that filter between what's going on in your brain and what actually comes out of your mouth. It's a nice pause. And it gives us time to reflect, to reset the nervous system. And there's so many different breathing techniques. Do you have just a quick breathing technique that trainers could teach to their clients that would make a, a technique that would be comfortable for them that they wouldn't feel like they needed a ton of experience to teach? Yes. And honestly, you know, having had a lot of education in yoga as yourself, um, there are so many different breathing exercises, and I think people can get a little overwhelmed and, you know, kind of like approach it the same way we would choreography. And um, honestly, the best way to start a client with breathing is, is like I was saying, it's awareness of breathing. Um, the deep, what they call diaphragmatic breath, is one of the best ways to calm someone down. So, um, as Viktor Frankl said, in the time between uh, an inhale and an exhale, we have a pause. And in the pause lies our, our ability to choose how we're going to respond to something. So slowing down the breath and being aware of the breath can sometimes be a great way to manage stress. So a lot of times what I'll tell clients is to place their hands first on their chest, which is where we want them to breathe, and then placing another hand on the abdomen. And then just trying to notice, first of all, just noticing where they're breathing. And so let's say that they're breathing so much as a chest breather. And a lot of times that'll show up and this, a lot of our clients will come in and they have all this anxiety and pain in their cervical spine and up in their shoulders and they're suffering from migraines and chronic fatigue. And then you, you're basically trying to direct the breath to where the abdominal muscles, which we call the transverse abdominus muscles, the deep psoas muscles, they will actually assist in how we draw blood or excuse me, breath volume, oxygen into the lungs and increasing our ability to not only bring the breath in, but also the big thing is pushing the breath out. This is one of the reasons why people take such shallow breaths. So when we inhale, it's this idea of lifting up into the hand. And then as we exhale, feeling the hand drawing down and just placing the hands on the rib cage and allowing people to understand the mechanisms of breathing, how the ribs are moving outward and in, and then forward and bound like a big a pump handle and, a, and, a, and a, a bucket handle, how the ribs actually move. And then directing them into their lower, I know you can't see my hand, but my hand is on my, I'm on my belly right now. And so getting them to the point where they can actually breathe with keeping the belly somewhat um, stable, so they're not noticing a lot of movement in the abdomen, but feeling a gentle tightening as they exhale. 
what that will do is it'll help them to start to push more of the breath out, which is going to you know, stimulate a lot of the diaphragmatic breathing. This is an immediate stress response where you start to notice everything start to relax. Once they can draw more breath into the lungs, they can push more breath out. Doing that for a couple of cycles is one of the first ways to really understand the breath and see how it goes. And I always like to, just like in yoga when we teach flow classes, teaching them how muscles work. So when they shorten, when we're doing a work phase, that's going to be when the exhale breath happens. And then when they do some sort of the coming out of that work space, that's going to be when we draw the breath back in. So teaching, teaching people how to move in accordance with the breath helps them to notice that, like you said, the breath is always there. And many times, even when we're exercising, we become so stressed that we just don't even recognize that we're either breathing too shallow or not breathing enough. And this puts a lot of stress, not only in our muscular system physically, but also can help make us feel a lot more stressed mentally. Now, there's all kinds of breathing techniques with holding one nostril and inhaling through one side and then pushing down through the other. Um, there's also breathing techniques where you can you know, hold your breath after the inhale or the exhale, but just simple diaphragmatic breathing tends to be the best place to start that I've seen. I think so too. And I'm actually really glad you mentioned that, that it doesn't take a lot of um, skills and breathing techniques. It just takes an awareness of the breath because so many times we forget that that's the one thing that we can use that works in our favor. And that's there with us no matter where we're at, whether we're sitting in traffic, whether we're upset with somebody, that pause can make a huge difference in keeping us in a safe space, guarded from saying something we shouldn't say, but also keeping us healthy and safe in our physical workouts, because we have to remember to use our breath as our guide and as our friend and to carry it with us as a friend and a gentle, you know, a gentle thing that we're bringing with us versus something that we're restricting that can hold us back. So that was beautiful, Lauren. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And the other thing that uh, we talked about, Lauren and I talked about doubt and we, you know, a lot of times when I read about mental barriers that get in the way, I read a lot about people being willing to get uncomfortable. But I think what really is behind being willing to get uncomfortable is, is leaning into doubt. You know, we try to stay away from self-doubt. We have a lot of fear-based uh, things that go on in our mind of, I don't want to doubt myself. And if I stay comfortable, I don't have to step into that space where I'm not sure if I'm going to be successful. But anytime that I'm in a space where I'm doubting myself, I know that I'm in a space of growth. And, uh, you know, it goes back to that saying of the more, the more, you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. And so that space of self-doubt, I feel like is a space I live in 24 seven, <laughs> because the more I learn, the more I know there's so much I don't know. And so it's, I just invite that into my world of openness. You know, I don't think I'm going to be here all these days to learn everything I need to learn. So doubt is good. Doubt means that we can push past our perceived limits. Doubt means that we're uncomfortable. Doubt means that we're ready to invite something in that we weren't willing to invite in before. Doubt is a perfect place for change and growth. That's right. Absolutely. I, I believe that as well. And um, we have to, and again, as trainers, I always think about, you know, how someone might feel that we have a saying in yoga, it's called having the beginner's mind. And as, the, as we get further and further into our um, years of exercise and how comfortable someone like you or I might feel walking into a gym, all of us in this profession, this is normal to us. It's normal to be out of town and walk into a gym or walk into a yoga studio and be completely all by ourselves and know exactly what to do. What does it feel like when you have that person that's 
really not comfortable in that space. Maybe they excel in their career, but when they get into working with their body, it makes them have a lot of discomfort. So we have to sort of help people to manage that in our sessions. And to your point, having that doubt, having that feeling of, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this exercise. This looks kind of hard. I've never really done this. Or, you know, I'm starting to sweat a little bit. This is kind of uncomfortable. It's really, I think, some of the best trainers that I've met in my career that have, have taught me have taught me in such a way where it's kind of like I'm walking up a hill very gradually. It just feels, okay, I'm, I'm good here. Let's add a little more and a little more. And then six months, you're like, do you realize how far you've come? And then when they finally go, you're right. I, go, I can remember when I couldn't even lift my arm and now I'm pushing weights over my head. Um, this really will translate, like you've been saying, into their life because they'll realize that, you know, if I really just take the necessary steps, put in the time, put in the work, and do whatever it is that I need to do accomplishing these tasks, I can accomplish anything that I want to do. And what a gift to give to our clients. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because I think a body confidence translates into personal confidence. If we start to buy into that, the fact that we can push our body in small increments and we can get places we never would have expected, it really ties into confidence in everyday life. It really was decades ago when I started exercising that I, I grew my legs, so to speak, where I really became a much more confident human being and started pushing myself to excel because I realized that that's what I learned in the gym. That's what I learned through physical exertion of my body. I learned to mentally exert myself as well and to step outside of my comfort zone. You know, it's, it's funny, I thought of another analogy, not just our clients, but I think if we, we got a new puppy during COVID and one of the things the trainer taught us is to constantly take the puppy on new walks right? To keep it constantly oh. stimulated, take it out of its comfort zone, get it to discover new things, see the world differently. And that's kind of what we need to do as human beings is get out of our four walls, get out of what we know, get a little uncomfortable and uh, step outside of that so that we make new discoveries and we realize what we're truly, truly inherently capable of both physically and emotionally. Okay? Absolutely. Yep. So. That's wonderful. I like the way you said that. Yeah. So the other thing that Laura and I talked about uh, was focusing on what you can control. And uh, this is this is really my favorite thing to talk about. I think I could talk about it every day is I talk about positive control over and over again is that, you know, we get really caught up as human beings on things that we cannot control things that other people do things that other people say people's responses to things. What were they thinking? Did they mean this? What if I should have said this? And the only thing we can really control is us. I cannot control what somebody says to me or does to me. I cannot control the way that they move through their world. I can control the way that I manage and maintain myself. And so I think that so much of our stress and so much of our anxiety and our fears is because we're looking everywhere but in the mirror, right? And what is that old, you know, the Freudian projection is when you think you're looking out the window, but you're actually looking in the mirror. <laughs> so yes. I love that one. <laughs> so, you know, it's just such a big thing that we do is, is focus on things that we just can't control. So there's, there's so many things that happen to us in this world, but it's really about positive control. What can I do to manage what happened to me? Yes. And I, and I agree with that. And certainly this year has taught us so much about what we think we can control, right? Who knew that we could like live in our house and not go to a restaurant for weeks on end and learn how to fix all these meals and wear a mask for eight or nine hours a day and whatever else that we're doing. Um, but this really, I think, ties in a lot to me as I'm listening to you talk. Um, you know, thinking about clients who maybe have these anatomical changes 
that we've taught them how to exercise within those. I, and I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I have a client right now I'm working with for, gosh, 15 years. And over the years, because of um, some bad car accidents and some botched surgeries, honestly, where he had a fusion that was done back in Europe years ago, and they took out one screw on one facet joint, not on the other. And now he's got stenosis and he's got some fusion in his spine. And now he has a little bit of retrolisthesis that's happening in his spine. So he has a lot of chronic back pain and he comes in sometimes with this fear. Here he is, he's running this big corporation, he's going through the pandemic and now his back is harming him because of course our physical stress manifests with the emotional stress, they kind of go hand in hand. And we've spent so many times where I've literally had to talk him off the ledge and explain to him, listen, this is an anatomical barrier. It's not the end of the world. You just have to create, we have to move in exercises. We have to make sure that our exercises don't push you out of this box so that you don't, you know, don't have any other episodes where you actually get further injured. And if you can do that, you can control your pain. You can control this anxiety. You just have to come up with exercises as we do every week that you can do on your own so that when these things come up, you can manage it. You can get your muscular system back online. You're not going to have chronic pain. You just have to learn to accept that this is now your structure. This is how your spine is. You're in your 60s now. And maybe, you know, you're not going to be able to play golf like you used to, but there are things that you can control. And that can really be a great lesson to our clients. We, we learn so much about our, our emotional state and how we should navigate the world by how we're navigating our own body. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that story. I don't think that was getting off on any type of tangent. That was a perfect story to talk about how, you know, we have to focus on what we can control. He can't re he can't undo the box surgeries. He can't undo what's happened to him anatomically, but he can work within that space of this is what I can manage. And he's working with you who's helping him to kind of give him that gentle reminder day after day. Right. Absolutely. Trying to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, the last thing that I would say about focusing on what you can control is a big part of that is, is comparisons, I think. And, you know, I've, I've talked about comparisons a lot, but a lot of times we get really caught up in comparing ourselves to other people. And, and that, that just, that's just, again, something we cannot control comparing how much weight somebody else lost or whatever it might be. That's, we just get really lost on the external stuff that just really doesn't matter. Um, and sometimes I think that it is a direct pivot and we don't realize that because what's right in front of us feels kind of heavy and weighty sometimes. So if we focus on the external stuff, we can kid ourselves into thinking that's what matters instead of diving deep into what does. And so what I heard you tell in that story was you remind your clients that this is all superfluous. But what really matters is what's right here in front of us. And this is what's going to take us to where we need to go. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I think not only do we compare ourselves to other people, but we compare our current self to our former self. You know, like I want to be able to do like I hate this going back to my client. I used to go outside of my house and I'd run for 30 miles and I would just get lost and turn around and run back. Or I'd go and I'd pay 18 holes of golf or, you know, I'm like, well, you were 20. You know, you're, you're now 68. And so you're not going to be able to do that anymore. And of course, now I'm at an age where I can relate to that because I'm 51. And I'll say, you know, gosh, I used to, when I was in my 20s, I could teach eight step classes in a day. Now my knees, I can't do that anymore. But I've found other things that I've actually become a better fitness professional from going through that. And I found other things that are much kinder to my body. And I, even if I could do that type of stuff anymore, I don't want to. So it's really about embracing who you are now 
not comparing you to think that, you know, there's something wrong with you. It's, you know, we see, as you know, so many images in the magazines and we watch other people move and we, and we envy those things, but it's always good to bring our clients back to, yeah, well, yeah. So she has uh, some great hips or whatever. She has a lot of flexibility and she does really well in yoga, but you know what she doesn't have, look at the strength that you have. She can't hold poses like you because you've been lifting weights all of your life. So pointing out to our clients is that clients that they really do have these wonderful gifts and all the time telling them what their gifts are. You know, people say to me, well, you just know so much about blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, gosh, you know so much about running this, this corporation. Then I don't know a lot about accounting, you know? So we all have our gifts and we just have to maximize our gifts and work on the things that we need to work on and try to be kind to ourselves. Yeah, that was very well said. Because again, it goes back to we only know what we know. There's so much out there that we don't know. And we have to kind of know where our strengths are. And we we need somebody who is like a gentle little whisper in our ear who will always remind us exactly what those strengths are. Because all of us would do better being reminded of what our strengths are. And, and it, it's a great boost to our self-esteem. So the last thing, I don't think that we could end this without talking about time. I think that time is a big mental barrier. And it's, it's actually the perception of time. So when I taught stress management to college students, I had them actually keep a time log for a week and they had to manage their time in increments of 30 minutes just to see and then create a graph of, of where a majority of their time was going. And then we brought in a whole talk about values and how a lot of times when we say we don't have time, it's the perception of time because it, it has to tie into our value system. We make time for those things that we value. So sometimes whether it's that our clients are ready to sign up for a training package and they say, you know, I just don't have time anymore, then it's that time to have a discussion about what their values are and what we can better do to build intrinsic motivation and build our training around those values. And maybe it means they need to change the time of day that they meet with us because maybe actually meeting with us is like um, setting off that fight or flight response because maybe meeting with us at 10 a.m. means that they've got to run their kids to school and then at 11 they have to be such and such and it's trying to squeeze us in somewhere in the day that just doesn't feel good. It feels like fitting a square peg into a round hole. So time is perception based for sure, but just talking to our clients about values and, and the value of training to them and making sure that if we haven't had that conversation in a while, take time to have that conversation now. Absolutely. And some of the best trainers, I'm sure, um, you know, have suffered from this problem. Um, we want our clients to value what we do. Everyone has different value system. I have some clients that love exercise and getting them to exercise is a no brainer because they do it regardless. And then others, it's really tough to get them motivated because it's just not inherently something that they're interested in. Um, I'll tell you another story where I had a lady who said chronic back pain, and she was, she walked into her session and said, now I need to be out of here within this time because I'm meeting with my workmen in my house and we've got to be done by that. And we ended up working with something that I knew wasn't going to be able to be done in that time. And so I just started doing what I do. And as I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, well, you know, you need to be out by this time. So if you want to, we can stop right here and then you can go, but she was feeling better. And she goes, you know, I think they can get along without me. I think we'll just finish this up. And she ended up that night texting me and saying how great she felt. And that was a really big lesson to me. It's also on me to make the time that we have together productive so that they will put aside that time to want to work with me. And there's times that we all walk into our sessions and we have a great plan and we're just on it and we feel like we're connecting with our clients. 
And then other times that you walk out of your session, you're like, gosh, that was, that was not good. Like I could have done a better job there. So we have to manage ourselves, but we also have to manage our clients. And it's up to us to find clients who value working with us. The worst thing you can do is kind of like being in a relationship where you're really into the person and the other person isn't into you and you can just, you just know it. So you're like trying to do, I'm going to fix myself up and I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to do the things that they want to do. I'm going to laugh at all their jokes. And you know that eventually they're going to break up with you. Why do you want a client like that? You know, find clients that want to work with you. And that's where I think that that's why you have to have that initial, that initial conversation. And maybe that conversation goes on quite a lot. Hey, you know, are you happy with what we're doing? Is there something that we can do that's better? Or if you know from right off the bat that they just don't have that level of interest, I just come right out and say it. Well, do you think that you're going to have the time to do this? And ask them, when would be the best time for you to come? And I, and I love what you said. You don't want to be another stress. Like they have to stress just to get to your session. You want them to want to be there. It's like that movie, The Breakup. I want you to want to do the dishes. Right? I want you to want to be with me. I want you to want to train with me. Right? Those are the clients that when you see them in your schedule, like, oh, awesome. So-and-so is on my schedule. This is going to be a great day. You don't want those clients where you go, oh, I got I to gotta work with this person today. I hope it gets over with soon. Because that translates right over into them. Yeah. Well, that was perfect. That was very well said. It's funny, you know, we've, we've caught up on more movies during COVID, have we not? So, um, so thank you so much, Lauren, for joining me. And thank you so much to all of you who are here with us live. Know that it stays up on Facebook. You can catch it. Sometimes it goes on Instagram. It's also on Apple Music. It's on Spotify under Strong Mind, Strong Body. And so there's lots of different ways that you can tune in and listen. If you want to reach out, if you're not actually watching, but you're listening later, my website's AngieMillerFitness.com. You can email me off of there or connect with me on social media at AngieMillerFitness. And I'm going to have Lauren first in one second. But before I do forget, there's one more thing I want to say. NASM is offering a free mini course. And how, you know, lest I forget to mention something that is free because who does not want free? So they are offering a free mini course on the science behind effective weight loss. So if you click on the link, you can get to that. So Lauren, before we go, let them know how they can connect with you if you would. Yes, and Angie, thank you so much. You're such a rock star. Thank you so much for having me on here. You can reach me. I have Instagram, Facebook, all that. My business name is fitnessintegratedscience.com. My email address is just my name at gmail.com. And I also have an online TV, fitness TV, uh, fitness integrated science TV that has over 160 videos if you're wanting some help on some exercise ideas. Okay. All right. So much. So thank you so much. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Do reach out if you have any questions. Again, you can email me off my website, but just real quick, it's Angie at AngieMillerFitness.com. So I think that sometimes if you don't catch these live, you really do want to know how could I reach out to Lord or Angie and just ask a simple question and just know that we're always here for you. But thanks to everybody. I hope that you have a phenomenal weekend. Take care of yourselves emotionally, physically, in mind, body, and spirit. We'll see you next time.